The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, welcome. My name is Ryan Church. I am one of the guys on staff here at the Inn. And as Jan already noted, I am not all that cool. I get made fun of when I try to be cool, as happened earlier today. But uh, I'm glad that you are all here. Uh, nonetheless, one of the things that, that I do to try and be cool is uh, get myself out there on the Internet, <laughs> on the worldwide waste of time. And I haven't done this yet this year, but I would love to be your friend on Facebook. This is, this is your invitation. If you would, uh, if you want to, you know, look me up on Facebook, throw me a bone in the line and say, Hey, Ryan, I was at the end tonight and I want to be your friend too. I will accept you very quickly. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, I'd love to be your, your friend on Facebook. And if you, uh, so desire, I'm also, out there in the Twitter universe at, at the Ryan Church, because the R was already taken, unfortunately. Uh, I, I, and I'll warn you, I'm a little bit inconsistent in my tweeting. Sometimes I'm all over it like a chicken on a worm sandwich. Other times, you know, I just forget to tweet. So uh, if you want to, to look me up there, uh, it, that would be fun, perhaps. And then also, uh, perhaps some of you know, if you have an iPhone, uh, an iPod Touch, an Android, we have an app. So that, you know, when you go down to the IMA and need a friend while you're on the treadmill, we can be that for you um, via, via technology. So if you want to uh, check us out, uh, go, go uh, check out our iPhone or Android app. I have one on my droid. Love it. Fire it up. You should check it out, too. All right. Favorite radio and television personalities. I got to tell you uh, about mine because... He has been in the news lately, um, and of course, as somebody who grew up in this area as a sports fan, Dave Niehaus has been like a grandfather uh, to me in, in many ways. But first, uh, I was one of those kids. I grew up in a family that really liked uh, sports. I lived near the Little League field, so perhaps there was already a bit of a peaked interest in baseball. But I was one of those kids that, as I began to, to figure it out, I would, uh, you know, be obedient to my mother's proddings to, Ryan, you need to go to sleep. And uh, in, those, in those times in the spring and in, in the summer and, and into the fall, though it wasn't all that deep into the fall when I was a kid because the Mariners stunk, uh, I was one of those kids that would literally put the radio in my bed with me. And set, you know how you could set, like, my, my clock radio when I was a kid, I could set it to no more than 59 minutes that it would run before it would shut off on its own. Well, what would usually happen is I'd be listening to the game and my mom would knock on the door and say, Ryan, you need to turn the radio off and go to bed. So I'd turn it off momentarily and then I'd hear my mom, you know, walk away from outside my door and then I would, I would get the radio back in the bed with me, turn it on enough just so that I could hear it up until the end of the game. And so my, my attention and my passion for the game of baseball was fostered uh, by the captivating descriptions of baseball games that I heard from the baritones of Dave Niehaus. Uh, that that uh, he w- his way of describing something that he could see, 
that I could not see totally engaged my imagination as if I was there. I could, I could somehow picture in my mind what was happening on the field. And, and most of the times, perhaps again because the Mariners stunk, what I was picturing based on Dave was saying was so much better than what I would have seen on television. Dave was somebody that could describe things in a way that only he could, but that I could somehow connect with. Okay, fun part of this story is when I was a student here at the University of Washington, uh, I, I found a, an internship with the Seattle Mariners, and Dave and I got to a place where we were on a first-name basis in, in the years that I got to uh, work for the Mariners. And, and for those of you that have grown up in the region listening to baseball and know who Dave, Dave Niehaus is, what I can tell you is that he was absolutely the same guy if we were in the press dining room as, as he was on the air. And you love it when you hear those people, you see those, those, those personalities in the media, that they're exactly the same person when you actually get to meet them. And this guy is in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Dave Niehaus. Uh, so I, in some ways, feel like I lost a grandfatherly voice in my life last week. And, and yes, I have wept. Um, I share that story because it does, it does connect. Because as we continue in our series tonight in Revelation, what we really get to hear is, is the Apostle John call the action that he is receiving in this vision from Jesus. And he is calling it and describing it in a way that I think only the Apostle John can. A way that engages our imaginations, that helps us see Jesus as he is right now. The whole point of John calling the action is for us to get to see and know Jesus that much better. And so we get to this point in Revelation that is kind of like this calm before the storm. Before things, uh, before things get rowdy, we've had these seven seals that have been opened. One woe has passed. Six of seven trumpets have been blasted. And we know that more stuff is coming, but it's kind of this calm before the storm. And at the end of, of chapter 10 of Revelation, uh, John is, is told to, to take this scroll. And like this, this woman told our witness, told Jan uh, tonight, John was told to take this scroll and eat it. And the image that we have there is of John actually taking this thing, this word of God, and putting it inside of his person, making it part of who he is. It it says that it was sweet to his mouth, but it was sour to his stomach. That there is something about the word of God that is all at once sweet and sour. And then what we begin to have in Revelation 11 is this thing that has been put in John now begins to come out. And it's that that we get to hear as we move into chapter 11 of Revelation tonight. And chapter 11 is, I got to warn you with this tonight, is chapter 11 is widely renowned, check this out, as the most difficult passage in all of the Bible to interpret. All of the scholars and and people that I read about said, "This, this might be, And in fact, one guy says, it is the most difficult passage of scripture in the Bible to interpret. And so what I want us to do is pay attention to it tonight, tonight, and let's have a little fun um, as we we look at this this message from, from John that ultimately shows us how Jesus meets us 
to the depth that Jesus meets us and how we are to witness to that God that meets us in a place of chaos. Now, because this is so difficult, let us pause one more time and pray for a little uh, guidance as we come to this text. Lord, we do ask tonight that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear you, to hear you accurately, to hear you truthfully. Uh, Lord, that we may know you more, for it is why we showed up tonight. We didn't just show up uh, out, of, out of the need for just another thing to do. We came tonight because we want to know you. So would you help us uh, as we get after that tonight in Revelation 11? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Again, I'm warning you, this, this might seem like, I'm going to read in English, but it might sound like it's some sort of foreign language to you. Okay, so here we go. It says this, Revelation 11, beginning at the first verse. This is John speaking. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles and they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of earth. If anyone tries to harm them, these lampstands, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Okay, crazy. Now, we're, we're going to do our best to get into this and, and simplify this as, as much as possible. So what I'm going to tell you tonight is that this is not going to be an exhaustive explanation of this text, but it is going to be something that I hope helps us know Jesus a little bit more and, and be faithful witnesses to Uh, who Jesus is, and the love and the power that is available there. Okay, so here we go. Two things that that I first want to tackle. This first line that says, go and measure the temple of God. Go and measure the temple of God. Okay, first, the the whole idea of the temple. Okay, when when we think about the temple, usually what we would think of are these big majestic buildings, brick and mortar, right? Perhaps some of you that have uh, traveled around Asia have seen these majestic Buddhist temples. Some of you perhaps have had the opportunity to go to the Holy Lands and see the remains of the temple in Jerusalem. I know that uh, an invitation that I've had to be near a temple but not in one is when uh, the, the elders from the Mormon church come to my house. And they still talk about the temple. And when you, when you talk about uh, the temple, what we're talking about per the Old Testament tradition is this, this place, this sacred space where the presence of God dwelled. It, it has roots all the way back in, in the book of, of Exodus and this whole idea of the temple and, the, and the, the excitement and passion behind it has to do with this is the place where God resides on earth, where God's presence dwells. And that, that is the temple of God. 
in, in its origins. Well, one of the things that we do, as we've, as we've heard here, is that we interpret scripture with scripture. So while we think about a temple that would be built of materials like this, these bricks stacked one on top of another with brick and mortar, there's some, there's something that changes along the way as we get into, in, as we get into the New Testament. Okay, would you two stand up for me and come up here? And then would, Carson, you stand up. Barkley, you come up here too. Come on up here. Okay, so what we, what we have here, what happens is that in the Old Testament, what we're talking about is this. We're talking about bricks and mortar stacked on top of each other. But then what happens in the New Testament is things are redefined. Okay, the Apostle Paul uh, makes, the, makes a point here. We'll put it up on the board from 1 Corinthians 13. That you don't, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in your midst. You also, like living stones, says Peter, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you think of the temple... Do not think of this. Think of this. This is the temple of God right here. And I very intentionally pull, pull up more than just one person. The temple is plural. It is what we are. Yes, the, the spirit of God dwells in us individually. But when we gather, we become the temple. This is the temple of God. We are the temple of God. Thank you. You guys are wonderful as the temple. Much better. So when we talk about the temple, the temple is you. The temple is us. So when we hear that throughout the balance of Revelation, try and fight that, that image of bricks and mortar in your mind and go, wait a minute. This is me. These are my friends. That I saw up front. Now, measure. Go and measure the temple. This might seem a little bit more bizarre. Because everything, again, everything in Revelation that we read is not new. It has all happened in the previous 65 books of the Bible. And so, so this one, in order to figure out what is this whole idea of measurement, we need to go to a book that, that might be a little unfamiliar to many of you, the book of Zechariah. And I just want to read one short passage out of here that I think is going to help us understand this whole idea of measuring the temple a little bit more. Okay? It says this, Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. What we read in Revelation is in other parts of the Bible. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem and find out how wide and how long it is. Now, while the angel was speaking to me, was leaving, and not leaving, another angel came to him and said, run and tell the man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory Within the image of measuring is this image of protection. It's this image of building a wall or a fence 
around a city, and there the glory of the Lord is as well. Now, here's what I want you to catch about, about this, this whole point, is that it is this image of protection, but when we think about protection, we can't merely think about protection being safe or being insulated. When we think about protection, it means that we have an advocate. It means that we have one that is with us, that stands beside us, even in the mystery and chaos of life. Fences can do something, but they can't do everything. Now, granted, a, a wall of fire would be one thing that I'm pretty sure would keep the dogs that poop in my yard out of it. For sure. But, but this wall is not intended to insulate us. Or to merely make us safe. What this means is that when, when it says go and measure the temple, it means that the people of God are protected. A lot of words, a lot of symbolism to get there. You are the people of God. You are the people of Jesus Christ. And the text says you are now positioned to be lampstands. The people of God who are protected are to give off light, to witness. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. Now, in the text that we read back from Revelation 11, there's a bunch of numbers in there. Perhaps you caught that. The number 42, the number 1260, all this stuff. Well, here's what I want you to know as we get into this. That, that the, this can be very bewildering when we see all these numbers, but they are are not necessarily um, statistics, but symbols. Now, when I first was studying this, perhaps because of the whole Dave Niehaus thing and perhaps because of, of baseball, I heard this text like it was like it was a baseball broadcast. You know when you're listening to baseball, you'll hear the announcer come on and say, you know, here comes Ichiro now, batting 324 this season, hitting, you know, he's hit six home runs. He's batting three, seven, seven, or he's batting 417 on, during day games on grass, you know, and has, you know, 57 RBIs or whatever. Lots of numbers, lots of statistics in a, in a baseball game. Now, if I'm going to be totally honest, when I was, a student here at UW, I honestly thought that being a sports broadcaster was what I wanted to be. And in fact, I had ambitions as a child of actually being the one that would succeed Dave Niehaus. You know, that, and, and I had the whole thing laid out that I was going to, I was going to be called Chuck Church. I mean, how good of a broadcasting name is that? Hey, Chuck Church with you live here at Safeco Field. Okay. That was, that, that was the way I wanted to start, start my telecast. Now, you know, Chuck Church and my alter, my broadcasting alter ego kind of gave way to the R, my pastoral alter ego. But it's, it's pretty cool because, because obviously base, or statistics are a big part of baseball. But then another random job that I had after I graduated, uh, from, from UW was I, I worked for ESPN TV covering college football games and I was a statistician for uh, actually doing Big Ten and ACC telecasts uh, for college football games in the fall. I was getting paid to fly around the country and watch football. Pretty sweet gig, actually. But I also became aware of how many statistics are involved in all of these, in all these broadcasts. It was actually pretty energizing for me. So as we come to, to all of these numbers in Scripture... 
the temptation, especially in the way that our culture is conditioned, is to think that, okay, these, these numbers are, are, are somehow rooted in something very, very concrete. But what I want you to hear is that these numbers are more symbolic than they are anything else. And it is those symbols that we want to dive into very quickly here uh, in this next section. Okay, first, 42. Okay, we hear about, about 42 months in, in Revelation 11. It says that, that they will trample on this, the whole city for 42 months. Okay, now 42 is a number that would have been recognized by the people reading this book. 42 was the number of stages it took for the Israelites to cross the wilderness and into the promised land. 42 is also the number of generations from Abraham to Jesus. Okay, very significant number that, that uh, has, has this, this journey connotation to it. Now, 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. We're going to dive into the Christmas story starting next week. My hope is that you'll come back and join us because I think we have a, a, great, a great series planned as we get ourselves fired up uh, for the holidays here. So we'll, we'll hear more about the significance of that. 42 stages, stages across the de- desert, generations from Abraham to Jesus. Okay, now 42 42 months equals 1,260 days. Okay, so we, we probably could have put the same thing in here for each of these. 42 stages across the dinner. Okay, 42 months equals 1,260 days equals three and a half years. Okay, so these are all different numbers that are exactly the same number. And what you need to hear, hear this, I know. For, there's probably like some chemistry and engineering majors that are like, yes, finally we get to do some math at the end or whatever. Okay. What's significant about this is for those of you that have been here throughout the quarter, the number seven in the biblical tradition is a number of completion. It's a very significant number. The seven days of creation. Anytime we see this number, this number seven, we think about something that is, that is perfect. That is, that is created. Okay? What's significant about 42 months, 1260 days, and three and a half years is, is that it notes exactly half of that seven or the tension. The tension of something being incomplete. Okay, so when we see all these numbers, what do we need to understand? We need to understand that we are in the in-between time of, of, of Jesus coming to earth, but not yet returning. We're in tension of that place. The tension of, of this kingdom of God that is ushered in by Jesus that has come already, but not yet. The tension of the kingdom of heaven in breaking on the world, but the world not being super stoked to receive that kingdom. You see, this is the place that we live in, isn't it? This is the place that we find ourselves right now. How do we know? Because we look around and we see evil and injustice. Jan bore great witness to it earlier tonight about sharing all the troubles that, that her and her husband and her family have, have had. They have lived in the tension of this world and have been well aware of it. Yet they've experienced 
the grace of Jesus in the midst of all of that. So when we see all these numbers and we hear about this temple and this measuring of the temple, what are we to understand? We're simply to understand that the people of God are protected in the in-between time. That's what these first six verses are all about. The people of God are protected in the in-between time and are called to witness in that. Okay. Now, it's a good news that they let us know that we're protected because what happens from here, and I'm just going to paraphrase what happens in verses 7 to 13, but it's pretty rowdy. Okay. There is a serious attack from the powers of evil on these two lampstands and things go crazy. So much so that what the text tells us is that, is that these people who are so-called protected actually die. They end up on the streets and people aren't burying them. And the people, the powers of evil that have killed them are actually gloating and and walking around going, look at what's happened. We have overcome them. But then it says three and a half later, the spirit of God breathed into these people once again. And they came back to life. And were invited to come on in and be taken up into heaven. In the in-between time, these people have been sent before Jesus comes back. And Jesus meets them right there again and gives them what? Life. What chapter 11 of Revelation is all about is about how the people of God who are protected, who are called to witness, are persecuted. They're beat up, perhaps even destroyed, but they have life. Life cannot be taken from them. In the tension, they died. But in the tension, Jesus gave them life. So the people of God are protected, but they are not insulated. As the kingdom of God breaks in to challenge all other kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of evil. An image that may help us out. A pastor, friend of mine, actually a pastor who Jan mentioned earlier, loves to tell a story about a church that he was pastoring that uh, as they began to grow, uh, they needed to come up with more parking for uh, to accommodate the bigger crowd. And so they found this plot of land adjacent this church and uh, these, that, was, that had been overrun by, by brush and wildflowers and other weeds. And so they, they brought all these people in to clear the land and level it out a little bit. And then, of course, they paved it uh, with, with a, a layer of asphalt and, and striped it. And every, everybody was, was pretty proud of what they had been able to accomplish in that. And this pastor then, as he, he would drive into work, uh, would admire the new parking lot. But it wasn't long after he started to see these, these bubbles begin to, to kind of pop up in this new asphalt, in this new parking lot. And about a week in, he goes up to one of these bubbles because he, he actually sees this little green bud kind of coming through it. And he picks it out. Okay, well, as he, the next day he goes to work, there's another two or three that he picks out. Well... A couple days later, he looks around and all these bubbles are turning into flowers. That what they had wiped out and tried to flatten out and in fact put a layer of of asphalt over 
could not hold down the life that was beneath. Somehow the life that was underneath that parking lot was protected. And even though they did everything they could, life wins. Life wins. God breathes life back into things. And even when it has been wiped out and covered up and smashed down, life. Life brings us back. See, the people of God are protected. And even in the midst of, great, of a great beatdown, of great trial, of great tribulation, life wins. That which is dead, an asphalt parking lot, cannot hold down that which is alive. This is the message of Revelation 11. So what? So what do we do if, if, this, is, if this is the message that, that God breathes life back into things, that we as the people of God are protected, what do we do with this? What do we do with this power that is mentioned again and again in the text as we seek to be the two lampstands that witness? You see, this is power that moves us, moves us outside instead of moves us in. We've talked about that. We are not insulated. The power of God moves us outside of ourselves. It moves us beyond a place that is safe or controlled. It moves us to a place of taking a big risk. It moves us from, from being in a place that is sterile to being in, in a dynamic world, in a dynamic life to fight against and stamp out evil. That's what this power does. If it's power that will bring us back to life, even in great tribulations, then why wouldn't we go do that? Hear this invitation and go. It is the power that heals us of the ways that we have been harmed. We know from the prayers last week that there are people in this room that have experienced unspeakable evil that brings up the question, where are you, God? Where are you when it really, really matters? That's a good question to ask. And what this text tells us is God saying, I'm right here. And I hate that evil too. And it is not going to win. What this evil may have done to you I get the last word on, says God. I get to heal you. That's what the power of God is doing here for the people of God who are protected, who stand as these witnesses, these lampstands. And finally, it is, a, it is this power that moves us from our fears and our fields of failure to freedom. If we believe that we are God's temple, if we, are, we believe that God is in us, then why do we let our fear of failure get the best of us? Why do, we, why do we allow the fact that we may fail to paralyze us? If this power of God is one that says, there is no, there is nothing 
that you can do that is going to separate you from my ability to pick you up off of the street or, for, or perhaps even from under it. If we really believe that, what does that look for in our life? Often we ask the question, man, what's in the, what's, what's in the Christian faith for me? What's in it for me? How about this? What is in the Christian faith for you is to never be a slave to the fear of failure or the fear of having to go with the crowd or, the, or, or having to be cool again. <laughs> we are set free from the feel, fear of failure as the temple, the people of God who are protected. So let us be those witnesses, those people who go and do and be and are assured of God's presence, his grace, his truth, his love that, it is, that is at work in our lives and indeed the entire world. Let us go knowing that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that can snuff out the power of Jesus Christ that is at work in you, his temple. Let us pray. Lord, help us to know this. Help us to be people that, that can take risks, that are empowered, that can go, that know the power of your presence, of your healing power. Lord, as we seek to be people who engage evil and injustice, and cling to you in that. Lord, may we know your protection of us, and may we know your redemption of us when evil has compromised us. Lord, for we know, because your word bears witness to it, that we are yours and that we are protected. Lord, be with us as we sing songs of praise and as we go from this place in Christ's name.